0: I can't make the smoke go away. I can't bring in a fan and blow it out the valley, although people suggest it all the time. I don't have a thing a fan blow it away.
1: This is A New Angle, and I'm your host, Justin Angle, marketing professor at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to speak with cool people doing awesome things in and around the great state of Montana. We are proudly underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot. Hey folks, welcome back, and thanks for tuning in. Sarah Cofield is an air quality specialist with the Missoula City County Health Department. Her wildfire smoke reports are mandatory reading for many of us here in Western Montana. Sarah is deeply passionate about air quality and how it affects people's lives. That passion, along with some famously dark humor and whimsy, make her writing unique and incredibly effective. I frequently tell students that it takes courage, talent, and clarity to use humor when communicating about serious topics. And you might not expect humor from a government employee like Sarah, but you'll find it at just the right moments with just the right tone. Beyond her writing, Sarah is a fierce advocate for the communities and people affected by wildfire smoke. In this conversation, we talk about her approach to communication, as well as her collaboration with Climate Smart Missoula to scrape together the funding required to get air cleaners to communities in need. It was great to learn more about Sarah and her work, and I'm excited for you to learn more about this exceptional Missoulian right now. Okay, so we're here today with Sarah Cofield. Sarah, thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: So you are air quality specialist for Missoula City County Health Department. Um, we'll get into all the, all the amazing work you do, but first off, I just kind of want to get a little bio. So you're native Montanan, right?
0: Correct. Yeah, I'm actually uh, from Helena.
1: And I assume you got your interest in air quality somehow from your father's work. I would assume there's a connection there. He's a longtime meteorologist, right? Uh,
0: Yeah, there is a connection there. Um, But when I was growing up, you know, my father was the air quality meteorologist for the Montana Department of Environmental Quality. So, um, you know, he's been in air quality forever. You know, you would think, that growing up with uh, my father in air quality, that's why I would naturally follow his footsteps into air quality. You know, he was the uh, air quality meteorologist for the Department of Environmental Quality for 30 years. But I thought his job was really boring growing (laughs) up. Like, you can't see the air. It's not exciting. You know, I was much more interested in water. I I interned for the DEQ in the water quality section for a couple of years as a college student. Um, I wanted to work with animals. Like his office was just maps and computers and just like, why? Um, So no, I I was not interested (laughs) in his job at all. Uh, And then I, you know, I went through uh, college. I majored in biology and chemistry because science is cool.
1: And And where did you study?
0: uh, It was Whitworth College at the time. Now it's Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. Um, Then I went to graduate school in Michigan at Michigan Mm -hmm. State, uh, where I ended up completing a master's in toxicology with a wildlife toxicology emphasis, working with great horned owls on a contaminated floodplain. And then while I was there, I also got a master's in environmental journalism um, because the way I I saw, like I was learning all this really cool stuff about science, but what's the point knowing all these really amazing things if we can't talk about it? Uh, So I added in the journalism degree um, in part just because I really like being able to share cool things about science with other people. And I just have always been really interested in journalism as well. Uh, Sure. So so is that
1: that your kind of emerging intention in the moment was to not go down the path of being an academic or a field scientist and being more of a science communicator?
0: Well, yes. Uh, One thing that I learned when I was deeply entrenched in academia was that I don't want to be entrenched in academia. <laughs> um, I, I always thought that that was where I was going to end up, you know, because I was good at school. So I'm like, well, I'll stay in school forever, sure. you know, yep. like go to graduate school, get a ton of fancy degrees and, you know, be a researcher or something. And then once I started doing that, I found out that that's just not how my brain works. Okay, it, It's not my strength. Um, I still really love learning everything, but the research aspect of it is something that I can be a really great cheerleader for, but not really a great um, expert in. I would say uh, like so there's just a different mode of um, thinking I think that that is required for a lot of really effective research. Uh, so I added the communication side, and and just really was excited to be able to translate science to everybody. Because I think that the, the public, they're not, they're not dumb. Like the public understands a lot of things. Like we all have different backgrounds, we learn different things. And if you aren't entrenched in science, you might not have had the opportunity to learn the words to understand it. Um, like I don't think there's any reason that the really cool things about science can't be explained in a way that is accessible the public without speaking down to the public. Um, So just that area of translation between the technical and what makes it so that it's understandable is really interesting to me and was really a neat thing to um, get to kind of pursue in my graduate work. And then it's just kind of amazing I get to do that now. Uh, But how I ended up doing air quality after going to graduate school for wildlife toxicology and uh, for environmental journalism uh, was basically i was finishing up school in 2010 and needed a job and <laughs> i really wanted to come back to montana sure um you know i'd been in michigan for six years and it took me four years to start liking it um it's very <laughs> flat uh but you know the trees are really leafy and they're very pretty and the lakes are great i will give them they're great lakes uh I need to get back to Montana. And this position at the health department here in Missoula had opened up. And my dad called me and he was like, Hey Sarah, you can do this. I'm like, okay, I need a job. Um, and he gave me a crash course in air quality, and I applied for the job, and I actually didn't get it. I interviewed and they hired someone else. Um, so I spent that summer just kicking around in Swan Lake, Montana.
1: Not such a bad thing to be doing. Uh,
0: It was the best summer of my life. I worked in the little general store. I went hiking all the time. I read my book on the dock. It was glorious. And then that fall, I started frantically applying for jobs. And uh, the health department called me and asked if I still wanted this one. I was like, I do. That would be great. So that's kind of how I got here. It was not everywhere I expected to to end up. Um, But once... I got really engaged in it and learned more about air quality, and got more and more interested in it. It's really become something I'm really passionate about. It's also side benefit. My dad and I have a great relationship now. We, we always had a good one, but now we have always have something to talk about.
1: <laughs> no is, doubt about it. Yeah,
0: it's it's just really fun. and It's really great uh, to have this added connection um, with my father, who was just a super awesome human being it's been you know 10 years now that I've been doing this and I think that one thing that I've found in almost everything I've ever done with getting into air quality and then just when I was in uh, journalism school learning about that is once you start studying something it tends to get more and more and more interesting the more you do it Uh, so it's pretty easy I think to get just really entranced with whatever your current project is and so what I thought was super boring because you can't see the air and you all have these maps and computers all over the place. Turns out I like those maps and computers and we can see the air. That's a bad sign. It means the air is bad. <laughs> so um, it's it's where I think I needed to be. And I'm really happy with what I'm doing.
1: And so most folks, I think most listeners, probably their touch point to you into your work is through the your, your regular smoke reports, but uh, tell us the sort of scope of your job. Like what, what is on your plate of responsibilities?
0: Yeah. So there are two of us in the air pollution control program in uh, Missoula County. Uh, and we are pretty unique in that the county actually has uh, an air program. Not many counties in Missoula have their own air programs. Um, and we are essentially tasked with doing what we can to reduce air pollution in the county. Um, And obviously, we can't regulate away lightning. But for all those things that we can have something to to do with to try to minimize air pollution, then we have um, a set of rules that we enforce. So our program has a lot of different aspects to it. There's a big regulatory component where we write rules and policies. Um, We also have to do enforcement on those rules. Um, They apply to things like um, outdoor burning and um, solid burning devices so like you was stoves and fireplaces, road dust, um, whether we have a lot of uh, rules about road dust inside the Missoula air stagnation zone. Um, we issue air pollution alerts and advisories uh, during the winter months if we get a lot of particulate pollution buildup. Do a fair bit of education uh, either by going to schools or university classes or by um, speaking at conferences and workshops and webinars. We do some studies. Um, Right now we are kind of wrapping up the second year of a pretty substantial study that we did in partnership with EPA and the university looking at indoor air quality during um, wildfire smoke events. And, And so there's just, there's, there's a lot to it. There's, there's policy and there's regulation and there's education and there's, you know, some work with wildfire smoke where we do intervention work. So I have a cast of portable air cleaners that I give out to daycares and preschools to help them create clean air for their kids. And I do a lot of education work with um, Climate Smart Missoula, which is a nonprofit I work with a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, just through various um, speaking to different groups around town, around the county, the state the country i've been to canada a few times which was pretty cool um nice.
1: they have air up there it turns
0: right? out turns out airs generally everywhere so there's always something to talk about so yeah it's multifaceted so like right now i am still kind of wrapping up a little bit of wildfire season stuff i'm preparing for outdoor burning season um where you know when we have outdoor burning i'm the person who makes the decision on a daily basis of if it's a burn day or not Okay. Um, and that's based on dispersion conditions. What, How is the air going to move? Is the smoke likely to become stuck in the valleys? So like when we have um, a major burner like the Forest Service or the BLM or DNRC wants to light off a really big um, burn, you know, they have to get clearance through our office before they can do that. So there's a lot of looking at how the atmosphere is going to be behaving that day essentially and what we expect the smoke to be doing. To try to minimize the impacts of that burn on the populated areas. Um, so I'm preparing for that because I know that I have a couple of burn requests coming up at the end of the week. Um, I also have, we have the oxygenated fuels program is still a thing, so there's contracts to do that with our contractor and um, sending out registration forms to all the facilities that are impacted. And then I'm also working on uh, we're doing a rule rewrite. So we have to do a we have lots of public hearings for that. They kept getting delayed because of COVID and now in preparation for a continuation of the public hearing. We need to write a lot of documents explaining why our rules may be more stringent than the state rules and justifying it all with peer reviewed studies and whatnot. Um, so there's kind of a lot of a lot of balls in the air at any one time.
1: Yeah, it it's Totally sounds like that, and you know one of the things a thread that that sort of emerges throughout that is this communication and coordination. and you mentioned science communication in particular early on and how uh, you didn't quite say this, but one of the thing, one of the things I think um, perhaps limits a lot of scientists is the ability to, to sort of communicate their work clearly and, and compellingly to a broader audience a lot of that comes down to the language and the words as you describe. I mean, I I think jargon is sort of a mechanism to exclude people. And you have a sensibility with your communication, particularly about wildfire smoke and air quality, that uh, is is super accessible. draws people and it makes them interested. It makes them kind of want to uh, consume more of your writing and learn more about the topic. Can you talk about kind of your approach to communication about a scientific topic in a way that's suitable for a general audience?
0: Yeah, you know, I I don't really feel that we need to talk down to the public, but I do think we need to explain ourselves. Um, So when I'm discussing what's happening with wildfire smoke, one thing I think it's important for people who are reading my wildfire smoke blog to be able to tell that I'm another human being and I'm experiencing the same thing they are. I I think I tend to include some sensory details, um, you know, to get across, like, how we're feeling, what we're smelling, and what we're seeing, like, you experience wildfire smoke, like, it's not something that's just, like, in the distance, it is actively impacting everybody who is in it, so acknowledging that experience is, I think, part of how I enter, um, some wildfire smoke communication, but there's also a lot of, um, technical, there is technical stuff to wildfire smoke of how we expect it to move and how we can maybe project what's happening with uh, the inversions that are when they're going to form and where the wind is coming from and what level in the atmosphere the winds are, are going. And there's definitely some technical terms involved in there. And so when I want to explain what is likely going to happen, I I try to also kind of explain some of the terminology a little bit uh just to help people um have an entry into the the technical side of things to kind of invite them inside it's not the concepts themselves aren't particularly challenging like air goes up and down and sideways and mm-hmm. you can kind of tell where it's going to go based on modeling and and um temperature gradients and whatnot. And so if you can just kind of explain, like, with regular words, like, this is how the air is going to move, and then say this is how we would describe it, I think that folks catch on pretty quick. You know, I've, I, I remember several years ago, the first time I ever used, like, the upper-level flow, I'm like, it's kind of a weird thing to talk about, but it's like, it's this is, this is the winds that are really high up, and, like, explain, that's what that, that's what that is. Um, I think eventually the, the audience gets more and more um, uh, aware of the terms and more comfortable with them. Uh, as you use them and explain them. Uh, But I I do think it's definitely possible to use regular, everyday words to explain the more technical ones. And then you can maybe use the more technical ones going forward. They may be more accurate. But first you need to say, hey, an inversion just means that there's cold air rolling down the hill and settling on the ground. And it's called an inversion because usually cold air is going to be higher up the mountainside. Um, so the temperatures are inverted, but I, it, it's, it's one of those things that I, I think that it's really nice to include, um, because I think people deserve to know what's happening. Really, that's what it comes down to for me when you're talking about science communication is, I mean, not only is science really cool, but the public deserves to understand what is happening to them. Um, cause you know, wildfire smoke <clears throat> is something that happens to people and I don't like people to not know why it's happening or, or what's going on. I might not, I can't make the smoke go away. I can't bring in a fan and blow it out the Valley. Although people suggest it all the time. I don't have a big a fan blow it away, but if I can explain why it's happening and what we expect the future to look like, it can perhaps give some people a little bit of agency to make some decisions for themselves to say, okay, this isn't a mystery. It sucks, but it's not a mystery anymore. And I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a great comfort to people, but I, I feel like they deserve to have that information.
1: Yeah, and it, it draws people in. I, I, I like the use of that word, agency, and you know, regular words, as you say. And you inject uh, a bit of humor as well, somewhat regularly. And you know, we we when we teach writing particularly technical forms of writing to students or or more formal terms of writing like using humor and 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 tools like that uh, i often frame it in terms of this is a big risk uh, and it's sort of a breaking of the rules but if you do it you got to do it really 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 well and you do it really well how do you kind of approach that sensibility um, and when to use it and when not to
0: yeah no that's that's a it's a good question um you know, I started putting kind of dumb smoke jokes, I call them dumb smoke jokes, into my updates a long time ago, but I would only put them um, into the emails that went out to my email list in the press, because I had gone to journalism school, and I know how boring it is to read news releases, so I I kind of livened them up in, in large part because I have a fondness for the reporters, because I know what they're going through, and such so is kind of like the, the origin of of them. Um, and they started going out to the general public via my blog in twenty seventeen when my boss found out that the version she was reading in her email was not what anyone else was seeing. Because I had, you know, been taught to put, you know, kind of just the facts, straightforward yeah, stuff stick to the script. To public consumption, especially from government. And so my public-facing material was all just very fact, 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 fact. And she was like, no, put in the jokes. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and I, I understand where she was coming from. And what it has created is something that people will actually read the whole thing, right. um, which is just if you're doing communication or you're trying to get the public to really understand something and maybe have behavior change, you want them to read the whole thing. Uh, So part of the trying to make them interesting is to encourage people to read the whole thing because there's hopefully something for them to look forward to in the post. But also it really does get back to um, uh, Mm -hmm. so much of what I include in the the writing. It's coming from a place of of empathy and a little bit of dark humor because I think that's how we cope with bad situations, a lot of us is, um, some, you know, wry observations and dark humor. Uh, it delivers to us a sense of togetherness when we can just kind of acknowledge how ridiculously awful something is like, okay, yep, here we are 2020 let's do it. So it, and when I'm talking about, um, what goes in updates uh, along with, just liking to have some humor in there to get people to read the post. Uh, I, want, I want people to know that I'm in there with them. Uh, that, that comes across from the, the sensory details as well as the kind of the dark humor and um, everything else. But I, I do really do feel that uh, a lot of how understanding when to throw something silly in and when not to does come down to, to empathy.
1: A new angle is brought to you by First Security Bank and Blackfoot, two cool companies doing awesome things all over Montana.
0: Hey, this is Coulter Nuanas from ESPN Missoula, and you're listening to A New Angle. And you can't you can't write like that unless you genuinely care about the people you're writing to. Um, and you know, there's a lot of division. Right now, in our in our culture and in our mm-hmm. society, and there's a lot of stress and worry. Um, but we're all still people. We're all still living in the same environment together. Um, we're all going through a lot of really weird, terrible things, and just genuinely caring about each other is uh, such a huge.
1: Mechanism for
0: us to get through what we're what's being thrown at us, if it's wildfire smoke or if it's uh, COVID nineteen or if it's any other things that comes at us. I really think that when we can really care about each other, we can go a lot farther. Um, so I certainly couldn't write like I do if I didn't care about the people in my audience. And so I, I hate to say it comes down to instinct on, on some level, but there definitely is a level of instinct in um, uh, how jokey I'm willing to get. Um, and there's, but there's also uh, the severity of the air quality will impact how jokey I get. Yeah. You know, For example, when um, Sealy Lake was smoked out in 2017, it was the worst mm-hmm. smoke we had ever seen. And I think it's still the worst smoke anyone has seen. I mean, there's been a lot of news about how bad the smoke in California, Oregon have gotten, but they still haven't had a month and a half of hazardous air quality. So, you know, that was not something to joke about. Mm-hmm. Sealy Lake was horrific um, and people were really suffering. And so that was more something to You know, try to convey the seriousness of it, and and not not make light of it at all. Um, But if we, (laughs) you know, if we're in Missoula and you know, like oh, the man's disappeared. Whoops, got a smoky. That's that's (laughs) a bit different than having this that incredibly oppressive smoke that is like harming people, actively harming people. I'm not saying the smoke we have in Missoula has been less. That's been not harmful because certainly we've had levels of smoke that will um, be harmful to people's health. Like all smoke is bad for you, but it has been, you know, levels that the general populace will still be able to function in generally. And it is something that you can kind of, you know, see the the end of, um, you know, if we have a week of bad smoke, it's a week of bad smoke, but it's, you know, it's going to go away at the end of that week,
1: hopefully. Yeah. yeah and I think the key, sort of construct in this thread is is the empathy and you earn that empathy and display that empathy in in a a variety of ways i mean uh an interview you gave about the 2017 sealy smoke was something along the lines of we don't have the right word or categories to describe what we're seeing and so that kind of language i mean that's like you said that's simple words but it's also just that's a a clear way of communicating to anyone that this is an extreme situation. And that, that certainly builds empathy.
0: Yeah, that was, that was a really traumatic wildfire year. That was actually a year that was occasionally really hard to find any jokes because people were calling me asking for help, which was really hard. So it's definitely a place that, um, you know, it, when we're going through a dark time, if we can just think about how we care about each other, I, I think that that helps us find words to help to get people through it. And then, I mean, and on top of all of that, I just, I have a silly sense of humor. And when I can throw some silliness in to
1: lighten things up
0: a little bit, um, I think that's, that can be kind of valuable. But I, I think that in addition to like helping you find the correct time to include jokes or not include jokes, um, empathy helps you connect with your audience in a way that they feel cared for Mm
1: -hmm. and,
0: um, maybe helps them absorb the information a bit more. Um, you know, it, it comes down to, again, talking with your audience instead of to your audience.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and, and I, I want so much for people to hear what I'm saying about, you know, not only here's how the air is moving, here's what the smoke is going to be, and, but also what that means to them. And hopefully what steps they can then take to protect themselves from the smoke and uh, understand that they do have some things that they can do. Uh, and if people don't read past just the first line that says what the current air quality is, they aren't going to get that extra information. And, and I want just for folks to be able to get all the information I'm trying to share. I don't, I don't give you bad information, um, but I give you lots of it. It's, uh, I like to joke, but it's long form writing. If you want to. I throw jokes in there to make it easier but there's a lot of information.
1: Let's pivot to some I mean you mentioned there a few moments ago about people asking you for help and and outside of the 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 wildfire smoke blog you do a ton of work to help people improve the air quality in their homes, places of business, etc. Like let's talk about some of the the, the the work you do to help people get air purifiers, for example, and create cleaner air for them to breathe on
0: Yeah. So one of the things that we really learned um, in and even go before twenty seventeen was the smoke comes inside your home. And mm-hmm. for the longest time the wildfire smoke health messaging had been uh, go inside, close your doors and windows, and that's you'll be fine. Um, but that's not really very helpful advice because the smoke sure. comes inside. I, you know, the particulate matter of smoke is super duper duper tiny. I mean, one of the things that kind of a visual is if you take a one millimeter grain of sand and cut it up 10,000 times, then you'd have a particulate. Some, a, a, the right size of particulate is in wildfire smoke. I mean, it's really small. So it's going to yeah. come inside your house. It comes in anytime you open a door or window. It'll come in through your vents. Um, and eventually your indoor air quality will match your outdoor air quality. Uh, but we also know that there's ways to clean your indoor air. And I uh, just have to, you know, do it. But the great news is the technology does exist. Uh, so starting um, really right after I, I got started and got really interested in wildfire smoke, I'm um, going to bring my dad back into this. He was telling me that one thing he had always really wanted to do was get um, air cleaners with HEPA filters in them to people because he was like that's the best thing you can do to help people when the air sure. quality is bad is give them a way to create cleaner indoor airspace and you know that was really great advice and i didn't know what to do with it <laughs> It was like that sounds like a lot of work like how do you do that how do you manage the logistics how do you even get them i that's yeah really, how do you
1: fund it yeah yeah all it,
0: it just seemed like a lot and then in uh, 2015, Amy Sillenberg, the executive director of Climate Smart Missoula, came to me and said, hey, Sarah, I have a new nonprofit in town and uh, we have this program called Summer Smart and we want to work on helping Missoula uh, adapt to climate change and be prepared for it you know, in addition to you know trying to combat it, but just acknowledging you live in a wildfire, crazy climate now. Um, so she asked, like, is there something you'd like us to work with you on? I was like, hey, yes. Um, Let's do so it. So I told her, you know, this idea of getting air cleaners to people who need them, but I told her, like, I don't know how to go about this. Um, it's just kind of a pie in the sky thing. And she came back the next year and said, hey, Sarah, I have money. I got us a grant. Let's do it. She had gone out and gotten us enough funding to do a pilot project to get portable air cleaners, the true HEPA filters in them, to shut in uh, respiratory patients, elderly shut in respiratory patients in Missoula um, before the 2017 fire season. And the goal was to kind of have this pilot project, get them their air cleaners and find out if it helped keep them out of the hospital, if they had benefit from it, and then try to use that to leverage uh, expanding the program. Um, And then 2017 happened and we had to scale that project up really rapidly uh, where we ended up um, getting air cleaners into the Sealy Lake Elementary School and into the Lolo School, uh, Woodman School, the Condon School, um, and maybe a couple of others. Uh, and as well as to um, clinic patients in Seely Lake, we were able to send 25 up to the clinic up there and have them triage their patients and get them to those people who needed them most. We got some into the clinic itself because the clinic was smoky. So you could see the smoke inside the clinic. And just trying to really frantically respond to um, the smoke and, and get as much funding as we could. Amy just put it on our credit card. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, the health department, we emptied our public health emergency preparedness budget. We just It's for flu. Usually, um, but we spend it all on air cleaners. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There's no funding mechanism for it, so we had to get creative. And Amy and I both applied for grants from the Montana Disaster Relief Foundation that came out of those fires. And uh, we both got them, which is great. So I spent my grant on uh, portable air cleaners for a cache that I now have. And Amy spent some on, um, some of it to, on air cleaners to give away to, um, people, particularly, uh, families with children with health concerns. Um, mm-hmm. and she also used it to build an awesome website, which is org, which is where I direct people to. We have so many resources up there. Um, so we ended up with these, uh, caches of air cleaners and, uh, Amy gives hers away, which is great. Um, The way that we wrote our grant and the way that um, we've added to our cash, uh, mine are all loaners. So um, daycares and preschools, um, and actually I have a school with some right now too. They can check them out and then need to return them after the fire season. Um, That way we can have them on hand to help people um, in coming years. Uh, And we always hope that the folks that, borrow them will say oh this is so great and then they'll buy their own and that has happened right. occasionally where they've i um, seen the benefit of having cleaner indoor air um and have made that investment uh, for themselves um so i currently have 125 um portable air cleaners that i can loan out um and we're really focusing um on getting those air cleaners out to um Children, for the most part, uh, facilities that that have children in them, uh, because kids are really vulnerable to wildfire smoke. Um, There's been just more and more studies show that uh, during a wildfire smoke event, the rate of um, hospital admissions or emergency room admissions for asthma problems goes way up way more for children than for adults. Um, there's also a really disturbing study that recently came out of California that um, in a group of primate, uh, infant primates and macaws were exposed to wildfire smoke um, during some 2017 fires. They were sort of outside in cages and the researchers just followed the, these monkeys for 10 years and um, this primates, I might have that wrong, what kind of primate they are, but they followed them for like 10 years and Um, the smoke exposure had kind of stiffened their lungs and altered some immune responses that then got passed off onto their offspring. So um, while the lungs are developing, they're really vulnerable to wildfire smoke. Um, So we're um, kind of focusing on helping helping the younglings as as best we can um, and by getting my air cleaners out to daycares and preschools, it, it's, it's a way to get multiple kids with these small amount of money, essentially. Um, yeah.
1: I, I mean, would... this still seems kind of like, I don't want to describe it. It's dismissive to sort of describe it as, as a hustle, but it sounds like between you and Amy and the variety of grants and trying to cobble together a funding mechanism, like it's, it's kind of a, a band-aid approach. Um, I mean, how should we as a community, as a, Governments and societies be thinking about this wildfire smoke issue.
0: Well, it and how can really we address
1: ha- it more systemically?
0: Exactly, it needs to be systemic. It needs to have policy and engineering controls behind it. And there is, um, depending on where you are, some good news on that front. Um, one okay. of the things we ran into when we were talking, uh, learning about indoor air quality and about HVAC systems, like I never expected to be able to speak intelligently about uh, commercial air handling systems, but I have had to learn a lot over the past several sure. years. Um, and one of the things that we learned was that the organization that set standards for um, how those air handlers are operated and what kind of filtration they use um, had never made anything for wildfire smoke. And so what we have in Montana and and most states, uh, California's exception here, is um, the only thing that's required is um, what's called a MERV 8 filter. And that's a good filter most of the time. Like, it's not a bad filter, but it's not designed for wildfire smoke. It's not designed to um, collect those very, very tiny particles um, that that are in the smoke. And so it's not going to be as effective cleaning your indoor air as uh, perhaps a more robust filter would be. Uh, So we were able to uh, pester enough of the right people in in enough places that eventually ASHRAE got word that this is something that they could fix. Uh, So ASHRAE, it's the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating and Air Conditioning Engineers. Uh, They now have a work group developing guidelines uh, for wildfire smoke impacted areas to mm-hmm. um, kind of have from on high kind of a national organizations saying, this is what you should do. Uh, and so that's really exciting um, because when we were uh, learning more and more about filtration and about air handling systems, uh, we were having a lot of schools being uh, built in Missoula and they would come to the health department for plan review and we'd say, well, what are your filters? And they'd say, it's a MERV-8. Like that's, can you do better? like well ASHRAE only requires a merbate like
1: sure yeah try
0: try better so we're looking forward to having uh, recommendations and guidelines coming down from a committee that uh, that's part of ASHRAE that is going to be much more authoritative than a mm-hmm. uh, air quality specialist in Missoula, Montana who has read some things and thinks you should do something different so I'm really excited for that. Um, I know some people who are working on it, and they're amazing humans, and um, that will give us something that is we can point to and say we should follow this, we should adopt this. In California, they actually in 2019 updated their building energy codes to require MERV 13 filters in all new constructions, so in residential and commercial construction. And MERV-13 filters are designed to catch those very fine particles. Um, so they're ahead of us on that. But I think that having an ashray come out with these guidelines will give us something that we can point to. Um, another thing that is happening that uh, we can look forward to is the Missoula's Climate Ready Plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with that, but uh, the community has worked for um, some years on developing this, this plan, for really kind of adapting to climate change to say, okay, right. what, where are we at and where do we need to build resilience? And it was really amazing for me. You know, I am the wildfire smoke nerd. I was just there um, in, in the health section, but there were many, many different sectors involved in these workshops. Um, you had, you know, business and agriculture and, and water people and traffic and emergency response and just a lot of different sectors Present at the workshops working on this, and when each like working group was kind of asked to come back and say what's one of our biggest areas of concern, wildfire smoke came up over and over and over again. It wasn't we're talking about climate change. Um, wildfire smoke is, is seen locally as one of our biggest challenges um, for our community. So it's not just you know me and Amy being the plucky people being upset about wildfire smoke. It, it's it's there's a lot more folks across the community and across different sectors so you see this as something that we need to do more to address. Uh, and so, you know, the final climate ready document that came out and got adopted by local government has a lot of great things in there about how we should respond to wildfire smoke and how we should prepare our community for more wildfire smoke. So I think that if we can, you know, really start trying to follow what's in there and pursue it, then that gives us something um, to, to stand on. So my goal is to get away from it just being me and Amy throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. I, if, right. The more we can have a holistic approach um, where it is programmatic and it's in policy, I, I think we're going to be able to get to go farther. Because right now, as it is, if people want you know protection from wildfire smoke, they either need to you know, do it themselves, or if they get um the sign up sheet from me and Amy for if you' daycare or preschool, we can help you through the wildfire season, but there's just there's nothing programmatic, and that's what we we where we really need to get to is just having um a plan for the whole area,
1: yeah, absolutely. Sarah, you know, this has been fantastic. It seems like the appropriate time to kind of bring the, the conversation to a close. But where can, you know, I, I got to assume most listeners are, are, are regular readers of your work. But but if not, um, where can people find you online? Where can people sort of learn more about your work?
0: Well, you know, I'm going to actually point you to uh, Montana, Um That is a really great place to learn all about. Wildfire Smoke and How to Protect Yourself, and there are links there to my blog that uh, you, you can find it that way. If you really want to just go to the Missoula County website to, to read long-form writing about wildfire smoke, you can go to missoulacounty.us slash currentaq, so C-U-R-R-E-N-T-A-Q for current air quality, mm-hmm. um, and that has all of this year's wildfire smoke updates on it. Um, but I do always recommend the Montana Wildfiresmoke.org. It is an easy to navigate website with lots of great information. We have new videos up this year with information about portable air cleaners, how to make your own air cleaner, what to know and think about for your HVAC system. Uh, we also have, um, some handouts and printable stuff and, um, infographics. Uh, it's, Climate Smart has done really great work at that website, and I'm just super thrilled to be a part of it. And if anybody feels so moved to help out the cause of um, getting portable air cleaners to put people who need them, uh, there is a place to donate on that website for Climate Smart, so that they can build their pack cash and I'm sorry, pack sense of portable air cleaner, um, and get get those out to people who need them. Um, as as we pursue cleaner indoor air for
1: everyone. Fantastic. Tara Cofield, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to A New Angle. We really appreciate it. A New Angle is underwritten by First Security Bank and Blackfoot with support from the University of Montana College of Business and Consolidated Electrical Distributors. AJ Williams is our producer. Jeff Amet, John Wicks, and VTO made our music. And Jeff Meese is our master of all things sound. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at a new angle at umontana.edu. If you like what you heard, tell your friends about us. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.